house, and then our sister minister, Pastor John Huing, is going to preach this morning, and then how we can conclude. Our second Bible reading this morning is uh, from the book of Mark, chapter 15, verse 42, through chapter 16, verse 8. Mark, chapter 15, verse 42. It was preparation day, that is the day before the Sabbath. So as evening approached, Joseph of Arimathea, a prominent member of the council, who was himself waiting for the kingdom of God, went boldly to Pilate and asked for Jesus's body. Pilate was surprised to hear that he was already dead. Summoning the centurion, he asked him if Jesus had already died. When he learned from the centurion that it was so, he gave the body to Joseph. So Joseph bought some linen cloth, took down the body, wrapped it in the linen, and placed it in a tomb cut out of rock. Then he rolled a stone against the entrance of the tomb. Mary Magdalene and Mary, the mother, mother of Joseph, saw where he was laid. When the Sabbath was over, Mary Magdalene, Mary the mother of James, and Salome bought spices so that they might go to anoint Jesus' body. Very early on the first day of the week, just after sunrise, they were on their way to the tomb, and they asked each other, who will roll the stone away from the entrance of the tomb? But when they looked up, they saw that the stone, which was very large, had been rolled away. As they entered the tomb, they saw a young man dressed in a white robe sitting on the right side, and they were alarmed. Don't be alarmed, he said. You are looking for Jesus the Nazarene who was crucified. He has risen. He is not here. See the place where they laid him. But go, tell his disciples and Peter, he is going ahead of you into Galilee. There you will see him, just as he told you. Trembling and bewildered, the women went out and fled from the tomb. They said nothing to anyone because they were afraid. This is God's word. Good morning, friends. Uh, the Lord is risen. That's right. So that's what we say at Easter. Now, many of you would know that in the Christian calendar year, it is, in fact, Easter that stands at the very centre. I'm not sure if you're aware of that. It's, it's Easter, but it's a very strange idea. Many people, I suspect, would think that it's Christmas that stands at the centre of the Christian calendar. You know, the presents, the manger at Christmas, the angels there, the stable, the wise men, the joy, the celebration. But Easter, why, why Easter? Why does Easter stand at the centre of Christianity? Because at Easter you've got the cross. You've got the brutality of the Roman crucifixion. You've got torture, you've got flogging, you've got whipping. You've got the burial, you've got death, you've got the tomb. Now, I'm pretty sure, as we saw this, this morning, I'm sure if you ask any children whether they prefer Easter or whether they prefer Christmas, I'm sure they'll take a Christmas present over Easter eggs any day. Ask any child that, they'll prefer Christmas. And in fact, I'm sure our children, they prefer Christmas over Easter. And that's because with our children, we do something different with them for Easter. In fact, Yvonne, my wife, uh, in her wisdom... Uh, last year for Easter, we decided not to give our children any chocolate eggs. Not at all. But for our 
for our children for our traditional Easter egg hunt. Uh, last year, Yvonne, in her wisdom, she decided she'll get some quail eggs. So this is what quail eggs looks like when that comes up. So Yvonne, in her wisdom, thought, let's, let's do something different for our children. We'll get them quail eggs. And she got chicken eggs. She dyed them. When, when they comes up, you'll see it. And so we put that as what they had to find in their hunt. And so <laughs> it's good when you see it, so it's worth it. <laughs> so that's a quail eggs. Costs a few dollars there. And so that's what Yvonne did last year. So for our children, they prefer, obviously, Christmas over Easter, but this is what they get at Easter. Uh, but this year, anyway, we thought we'll be normal, normal parents and we'll give them chocolate eggs. So they got some chocolate eggs yesterday. But I'm sure even for us parents or for us adults, many of us would prefer Christmas over Easter. But you see, it's in fact Easter that stands at the very centre of Christianity. But why is that? Well, when we consider the Easter story today, once again, hopefully that will become clear. And so that first Easter Sunday, let's just reflect on that. We'll think about what happened that very first Easter Sunday. And so if this is your first time hearing this story, or your 500th time hearing this story, I'd like us all now to come back to this story, that very first Easter Sunday, with fresh eyes. Let's see this story again from their perspective. In fact, more than that, I want us to, in a sense, be there that morning, so that we can hear of the hustle and bustle of life in Jerusalem so that we can smell of the dust-filled air as the people were getting ready for the markets in the morning, so that we can see what in fact did take place that very first Easter Sunday. But in that morning, I want you to imagine this. You're waking up that morning, not as someone who will have to go to the field and work the harvest, not as the blacksmith who has to melt the steel that day, not as the baker who will bake his bread. But this morning, I want you to imagine this. You wake up with a heavy heart. You wake up depressed, too depressed to smell the, uh, the, the flowers of spring. You wake up too anxious to, to feel any joy and life. You wake up tired because you weren't really sleeping the last two nights. Because this morning, imagine this, this morning you're waking up and you have to go to the tomb to anoint that dead body. And so imagine for a moment that this morning you are there, that first Easter Sunday, you're one of those three women who will have to go to the tomb that morning, very early in the morning, and so there were three women. There, there was Mary Magdalene. She was one time healed by Jesus, and she followed Jesus all the way up from north in Galilee down to Jerusalem. And then there was Salome. She's the mother of the two disciples of Jesus, the mother of James and John, she's the one who asked Jesus, can you let my son be at your left and your right? So that was Salome. And then there's the third, this is you. You are the other Mary, the, the mother of James. You're in fact the sister-in-law of Mary, the mother of Jesus. And so that makes you the auntie of Jesus. You were there, one of the three. What would you be feeling this morning? What would you be thinking this morning? Now, this is obviously an extremely difficult morning, a despairing morning. Mary, the mother of Jesus, she could not bring herself to join you that morning. Your sister-in-law, she couldn't come with you because it would be to see her dead son after he's been tortured. 
to see the body that was butchered now lifeless in the tomb. And you can understand why, you see. Remember back Friday now. Friday, you were standing next to Mary, the mother of Jesus, at the foot of the cross. And you saw what they did to Jesus. How they plunged that crown of thorns into his skull. And you saw, as you were watching him hanging from the cross, blood dripping down from his open wounds, from all the flogging, from all the whipping. You still hear the sounds of his screams ringing in your ears. And his body hanging there on the cross, bruised and butchered. And you still vividly hear in your mind, with pain and agony as he was hanging there, you still hear those words he cried out, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And you still hear with his last breath, he managed to say, It is finished. Just imagine you were there. And so you still remember that horrific scene. And along with the other Marys at the foot of the cross, you're weeping tremendously in grief and sorrow. And you were powerless to do anything about that at all. And so you can understand why Mary, the mother of Jesus, could not bring herself to see the corpse of her son who died such a vicious death. And so now you, the auntie, along with Mary Magdalene and Salome, you wake up very early this morning to go to this tomb to anoint the dead body of Jesus. Now at the cross on Friday, you were powerless to do anything. You were powerless to help Jesus in any way. But this day, this was your last act of kindness that you can show this man who loved you so much. And so the three of you wake up early in the morning just after sunrise as the, the sky was glowing from the rising sun you head to the tomb now you knew exactly where the tomb was you see on the friday remember on the friday you saw where they placed jesus you saw joseph the the prominent council member you saw where he laid the body of jesus you saw them roll that big stone over the entrance of the tomb and so as you were heading to that tomb you knew exactly where it was it, it occurred to you do you notice Three old women, you and two others. You're heading there and then it occurred to you, well, who will roll the stone away from the entrance of the tomb? You're realistic here. How will you move that? Well, none of us three women can do that. But anyway, you go ahead towards the tomb, hoping that there will be help on the other side. Now, as the sky was getting brighter, you're getting closer to the tomb. What will you be thinking at this point? You know what's there in the tomb. You know what you'll see. Perhaps you're anticipating now the, the stench of death. Perhaps you're a bit anxious having to unwrap the linen cloth over this dead body, this messed up and broken body. Perhaps now you still have this sense of tragic disbelief. How could this have happened to my nephew Jesus? That court that condemned him to death with chopped up charges. How was that allowed? He was an innocent man. He did so many good things. He was compassionate, merciful, healed so many people, fed so many people, saved so many, forgave many, loved so many. Why, why couldn't he save himself? I remember hearing those soldiers. They were mocking him. You heard that. Why didn't he save himself? He had the power to do that. And so you just can't believe that he is gone. Or perhaps now you, you, you're just filled with grief and sorrow 
and sadness and this emptiness inside. Now, isn't that the experience of all of us when we are confronted by death and mortality? I mean, just when you go to a funeral, you know the feeling. When you go to a funeral, just this year alone, we're only a quarter way in and I've already been to two funerals. Just this year alone, in my circle of friends and people I know, there has been six deaths. In fact, this last week, one of my friend's father passed away. You know that feeling, that, that hopeless, helpless feeling when someone dies, when death robs us of our loved ones. I still remember one of the first funerals I went to. It was hard. It was very hard. It's still very vivid in my mind when one of my family members passed away. You know, that heart-sinking feeling, heart-breaking feeling, as much as you want to do something for the dead, it is just hopeless. We try to honour them, we try to respect the dead, but there's this sense of hopelessness. No matter how much you grieve, that, that person's body will still slowly decompose. As much as you cry, that, that person will still remain dead tomorrow. And it seems that death has won at the game of life. And so you with these other two women, you're walking towards a tomb now. You're getting closer. And what are you feeling? Well, well that's what you're feeling. You're walking towards a tomb. Your dear nephew, this deep, sinking feeling of hopelessness, shoulders heavy and drooping, heart just sinking away. Death has won. Your nephew's dead. He was meant to be the saviour of the world. And now your saviour is dead. See, if the Easter story ended at that point, that would just be the normal human experience. Wouldn't it? That would just be the normal human experience. People live and then people die. Why should it be any different in this case? But let's go on in this story. What happens? Well, the sun is rising. It's getting brighter. You're closer to the tomb. And you've arrived at the tomb now and you look up. And what do you see? That large stone that was meant to be in front of the tomb, in front of the entrance, was someone's rolled it away. Now you're shocked. Who's done this? Who, who, rolled, the, who rolled this stone? Who, who stole the body? And so you're frozen, you're terrified, you're panicking at this point. But then you, you muster up the courage. You enter the tomb trembling, and what do you see? Well, you see a young man dressed in a white robe sitting on the right side. That was an angel of God, you see. That's the angel of God, a sight that's like lightning. Your heart now, emotions are in turmoil all over the place. This was not what you expected. You expected the smell of death, the stench of death. But then this angel speaks to you. And he says, don't be alarmed. You are looking for Jesus the Nazarene who was crucified. He has risen. He is not here. See the place where they laid him, but go tell his disciples and Peter, he is going ahead of you into Galilee. There you will see him just as he told you. Now at this point, you're trembling, you're, you're frightened, you're overwhelmed, you're be, be, uh, bewildered, traumatised. You flee from the tomb, not saying a word to anyone. The Easter story in the Gospel of Mark ends at that point. 
to women running away in fear. Very strange way to end the gospel, isn't it? Very strange way to end the story of, of this death and resurrection. But we have to understand why. Why do you think Mark ended that way? Well, you see, the reason why Mark ended that way with the women running away is because he invites us into the story for us to consider this unfinished story. What would you do? Imagine what the women would be feeling at this point. What would you have done? Well, imagine the emotional roller coaster of the women that day. Imagine that, beginning the day with this heart-wrenching sorrow. But now there's this fear, but yet joy, beginning the day with this hopeless despair, but now there's this somewhat glimpse of hope, beginning the day with a dead saviour, but now he's proclaimed alive. Now, of course, we don't really know what went in the minds of those women that morning. But what we do know from the other Gospels was that by the end of that day, things became clearer. Things started to make sense. You see, by the end of the day, this risen Saviour, he in fact appeared to many people. This risen Saviour resurrected in life, in body, flesh and blood. He appeared first to our reading at the beginning to Mary Magdalene, one of the women who went to the tomb. And then he appeared to the two on their way to Emmaus. One of those guys was Cleopas. He's the husband of one of the Marys. He's in fact the uncle of Jesus. They were explained by Jesus that he is in fact the Messiah. And by the end of the day, Jesus appeared also to the disciples. Imagine what that day would have been like. You expected death. You expected that's it. The story is finished. The end. But now you get this. You see, the first Easter Sunday began with this hopeless despair of these women. But now it ends with this joyful hope for the world. You see, that was the day that changed eternity. Because Christ was risen that day and remains living today. That was the day that changed eternity forever. And it was for us. Now, now we might be so familiar with the Easter story, but I wonder how often you've thought about how extraordinary that day was, how unique that first Easter was. I mean, just think about it. Dead people just don't come from the, back from the dead. Dead people don't come back from the grave. It doesn't take a genius to work that out. Dead people just don't rise. Since I've become a minister a few years ago, I've conducted a few funerals. Now, you might find this surprising, but, but never once, never once had I had a funeral cancelled on me. Never once has the funeral director give me a coin and say, hey, John, we have to cancel the funeral. We can't find Mrs Brown's body. We think she's risen. We think she's come back from the dead. She's probably around Melbourne in some cafe somewhere. Never once has that happened. And it makes sense, right? No one comes back from the dead. Dead people don't come back from the dead. And so do you see how extraordinary that day was, that first Easter Sunday? That was what happened to Jesus. And so we have to make sense of that. You see, this is not just an interesting story that we stash away for the year and bring back next Easter. This is not something that we can just hear and then forget. This is not a story where we can simply ignore. 
You see, if in our history, in human history, in the life of this world, Jesus has come back from the dead, and if his tomb remains empty forever, then that is to tell us something. That is to show us how significant that day was, how earth-shattering that day was, because that day was the day that ushered in a whole new world order. That was a day that changed eternity forever. And that's because, you see, for Jesus to come back from the dead, that was God's way of declaring to this world, of declaring to this universe that that is the man who is the ruler of the world. That is the man who is the Lord of the world, not the presidents, not, not the prime ministers, not the chancellors. That is the man who is the ruler of all. And it is God's way of declaring that is the man who is the saviour of all. He is the son of God who went to the cross to die for sinners, to die for rebels, to take the place of rebels that they might have life. The resurrection is, in a sense, God's stamp of approval. He is for real. He is the Lord and Saviour of all. It vindicates all about Jesus, all that he taught, all that he promised, all that he claimed. All of that is true. How do we know that's true? He came back from the dead. And that affects all of us. The resurrection declares something about us as well. The resurrection declares that his death, the death of Jesus on the cross, was no accident. The resurrection of Jesus declares that the death of Jesus on the cross was in fact for us, for people. The resurrection declares that I'm in fact a great sinner, in need of a great saviour. The resurrection declares to you that you are a great sinner in need of a great saviour. And the resurrection declares that Jesus is that great saviour who willingly went to the cross for us, who bled and hung there to die in our place, to shield us from God's judgment and anger, to take the judgment we deserve, and so to bring us back into relationship with God. That's why Easter stands at the very centre of Christianity. It is at Easter that we are brought back into relationship with God. And so when Jesus promised in our, in our first reading, when Jesus proclaimed this, he said, I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me will live, even though he dies. And whoever lives and believes in me will never die. Do you believe this? You see, that's a question that Jesus asked Martha. But that's a question that Jesus continues to ask every generation of people. That's a question that you must answer. Will Jesus be your saviour or will you try to save yourself? You see, if you believe in those promises of Jesus, then you not only live differently by finding comfort and peace and security and forgiveness and assurance and salvation in the one who came back from the dead, in the one who is declared Lord and Saviour of all, but you also die differently. You see, for those of us who do believe this, when we face death in its face, in the horrors and the darkness and the ugliness and the blackness of death, we can face it without fear, without terror. Because you see, one tomb in our history remains empty. 
one man came back from the dead. You see, that is proof that death does not have the last word. Jesus does. Death has not won. Jesus did. Death has, in fact, been defeated. And now there is eternal life. Death, you see, for us who believe in this, no longer casts its big, dark shadow over our lives. Jesus has dealt death, the death blow to death itself by coming back to life again. And that's why in Christian churches like ours, you look at the, the cross even above me, you don't see a crucifix there. You don't see Jesus still hanging there. It's an empty cross because he's risen. He's risen to promise us that we will be raised again. And so how will this Easter be for you? In our history, one tomb remains empty. One man was raised back to life again. That stands at the very centre of Christianity. You, you can't ignore that. You can't dismiss that. And so Jesus asked, do you believe this? If you do, you'll not only live differently with great comfort and assurance, but you will die differently with great hope and peace. And that has been the case for all Christians since that first Easter. One such man was uh, Dr. John Payton. He was a man who understood, understood the promises of Jesus, understood the promises of resurrection life. Now, John Payton, some of you may have heard of him. He's, he's now long past, he's uh, past and dead. Uh, but his tombstone is in the Kew Cemetery. And so about two months ago, on my day off with Yvonne, on the Monday, we, we were heading towards the city for lunch and we thought, let's stop by the Kew Cemetery. I knew his tombstone was there and we wanted to find it. How romantic on our day off. <laughs> so we went there. It was nice. There was tombstones there. Uh, so we went looking for John Payton's tombstone. We, it took us a while because there was another John Payton there, but eventually we found it and this was uh, his tombstone. You see the inscribed missionary to the new Hebrides. Very small, but that's what it says. Now, what's fascinating about this, uh, this doctor, John Payton, was that he was a Presbyterian minister. He lived in the 1800s in Scotland, and he was a missionary who planned to go to the South Pacific, to the new Hebrides, as a missionary. And when he decided to do that, one of his good friends said to him, you sure about that? You'll be eaten by cannibals if you go to that island. And do you know what Dr. John Payton said to him? You see, John left only 14 days after getting married. They did go, but this was what he said. He said, Mr. Dixon, you are advancing years now, and your own prospect is soon to be laid in the grave, dare to be eaten by worms. And he goes on to say, I confess to you, that if I can but live and die serving and honouring the Lord Jesus, it will make no difference to me whether I'm eaten by cannibals or by worms. And he goes on to say, In the great day, my resurrection body will arise as fair as yours in the likeness of our risen Redeemer. And so, how will this Easter be for you? Easter comes and goes each year. But that first Easter was the day that changed eternity forever for us. 
It's the most fantastic of the Christian claims. One tomb remains empty. One man has come back from the dead. And the promise is that your tomb, your grave, will also be emptied when he comes back again. For you too will rise. The same power that raised him will also raise you. And so this is Easter Sunday. We remember that. We remember his promises. And what did we say? The Lord is risen. Amen.